How are you guys? You doing well? I'm, I'm going to assume you can hear me. So Tim is away today, so uh, you got me. You got me. And I'm, I'm Mandy. If, uh, if I don't know you, nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> so we'll just jump right in. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, this uh, television show came out on Netflix called Stranger Things, probably. Did you guys watch it? Remember? Uh, it's been a minute now, but it was set in the early 1980s in this small town in Indiana. And the show followed this group of kiddos, one of whom has disappeared. Uh, over the course of the first season, viewers find out that a nearby laboratory has been secretly doing experiments. And they have, these experiments have inadvertently created this portal into an alternative dimension. It's called the Upside Down in the, in the television show. And the Upside Down looks eerily you know, like the real world, uh, but it's darker, it's murkier, and it's filled with monsters in the, in the case of the show. It came out in 2016, the, the series, and it was just right as the election season, if you remember, was sort of getting underway. And life was seeming, at least at that time, very strange. Stranger and stranger, really. And uh, the show came out, oh, I already said that, in 2016. So we felt like it was, it was a, a strange time, or at least I did. People I knew would joke about how they felt like we were in the upside down, you know, only this one didn't have the, the murk. It had some monsters, but not the murky rain and snow. Uh, whether that's how you felt or not, I don't even know if you can remember at this point, it reminded me that we like to know how things are going to go, don't we? And we need to feel like we understand how the world works. So much, I think, in fact, that we're willing to hold on to the way things are, even when we know they're not as they should be, something seems strange or off, but we'll hold on to that just to avoid the disruption. Well, our text today that uh, Claire read for us is just that, it's disruptive. And we're in the season of Epiphany, and the, the season in the church calendar that we call Epiphany. And it's a season where we tell the stories about the life of Christ, and as we do, we ask ourselves questions about what is being revealed, and how should we respond to what's being revealed. So there's this revelation and response kind of theme. I hope, I hope you've noticed that over the weeks. And today, what we're looking at is one of the two versions of the Beatitudes. As it turns out, there are two versions. There is one in Matthew, which is kind of the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. And then there's the one that's in Luke, which is what we read today. Uh, Luke 6, 17 through 26. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. And honestly, it's a lot less familiar, I think, to us than the one from the Sermon on the Mount. And like a portal to the upside down, it's confusing and it's disruptive. It doesn't get as much attention, I think, as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and quite frankly, part of the reason is it's a lot less preachable, especially to a modern, you know, modern crowd like ours, a nice, well-dressed, well-dressed Johnson County congregation. But Luke makes absolutely sure that nobody misses the point. Luke's treatment of the Beatitudes uh, has its much grittier, it's kind of in your face. It has a real prophetic edge. I mean, I don't know any Sunday school teacher who is asking their students to memorize, blessed are you when you're hated. You know, nobody's uh, cross-stitching that onto a pillow. <laughs> but, but Matthew, unlike Luke, 
spiritualizes poverty just a little bit at least. It is literal, but it's also spiritual. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we can talk about that kind of poverty all day, can't we? I mean, that is the kind of poverty that we're a little more familiar with and even afflicts uh, the posh people, the people that have a couple cars and a retirement plan. But uh, even, even in Matthew, the Beatitudes are listed, and then it moves right on to something else. They don't, he doesn't kind of hover there. But Luke lists the, the blesseds, as I've taken to calling them, in their bare naked form, and then he moves on to this list of woes. The location uh, in these two books is different. In Matthew, Jesus teaches us from the mountain, from the hillside, above the crowds, where he has gone to pray and to appoint apostles. In Luke, he's come down, and the Bible says he's come down to a level spot, or the plain, right smack dab in the middle of this big crowd. I imagine it's like a, like a parade or a, a concert pre-COVID, where there's this huge crowd and people are pressing in. And there's a crowd at this point in Jesus' ministry, unlike in Matthew, because he's been around a little bit longer. Matthew, his ministry was a little newer. So he's really started to, to draw a crowd. He has some fans at this point. And the Bible says that he came down from the mountain onto a level place into this very diverse crowd. Uh, that scripture notes that there were people from Tyre and Sidon, so that would have been a diverse group. And because we know that Luke was Greek-speaking and, and likely a Gentile, uh, the crowd would have been filled with uh, Gentiles and Jews alike. And the crowd was pressing in on him. They had been following him because he was healing their diseases. That tends to draw a crowd, doesn't it? And the Bible also says he had been casting out evil spirits. In fact, he had just healed the man um, a few verses earlier with the shriveled hand. He had done that on the Sabbath and got in trouble with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are there too and scribes kind of waiting for him um, to make a mistake. So there seems to be these different groups, disciples and then the, the crowd at large, and in verse 20, it says, he lifted up his eyes and looked at his disciples. And with people that surely would have been, you know, listening in, he says words that would have been shocking and confounding, really, to them, and just as they are really to us today. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Well, this made no sense. I mean, I'm sure uh, some of those who were listening would have reacted in the same way when we hear something just completely counterintuitive, you know? Uh, like when your dog hears a high-pitched noise, you know, and he's like, oh, what? I'm sure this crowd was going, what? Um, but I am, I, I think that's exactly what Jesus was going for, but I am getting ahead of myself. I want to I wanna back up just a little bit. I think there are three kind of overarching ideas that should be highlighted from this scripture. First, it should be noted that Jesus came down. He doesn't stay on the mountain to teach. He came down to the level spot literally uh, on the, the same level as the crowd. According to Luke's telling, Jesus came down and stood on a level place looking the people in their faces. People could walk right up to him, touch him, claim a little bit of his healing power. No barriers to Jesus in this, in this version. But the geographical detail, of course, is not the only 
difference between Matthew and Luke. We have to deal with the actual sermon. We have to grapple with what he actually said. In Luke's gospel, he, uh, Jesus is not spiritualizing it. He stood among the people. He spoke directly to them. And when he spoke to them, he uses the second person plural. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Jesus stands there just level, on the same level with the people, and he looks into their faces. He sees who they are, and he directly pronounces that their lives are blessed, both now and in God's future. The second thing I think uh, it's important to note that the blesseds were not new, at least in form. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor says that this was a common Jewish structure, this two-part affirmations that summed up kind of common knowledge about how to live a good life. So when Jesus started with, blessed are you who, his followers would have known exactly where he was going. They were like these little nuggets of wisdom that were meant to be encouraging and edifying, certainly not surprising. Kind of like, blessed are you who get a good night's sleep because you will not be grumpy. Blessed are you who have good retirement plans for your old age shall be comfortable. Just little things like that. They were straightforward and innocuous. But the content of what Jesus actually said was astonishing. Hearing that the poor, the hungry, and the reviled are blessed would have been incomprehensible to the crowd. Like going through a portal into an upside down, it just it did not make sense. It wasn't a part of their conventional wisdom, and it's, it's not a part of ours. It's not how the world is. I think the key to understanding this is understanding that Jesus wasn't talking about how the world is. I think he was talking about how God is. He was naming the reality in the kingdom of God where all the wrong people are blessed. Again, Barbara Brown Taylor puts, puts it like this. The sermon is not advice at all. It's not even judgment. It is simply the truth about the way things work pronounced by someone who loved everyone. And the third thing, third thing, if you're keeping track, is that I think it's important to look at this question of, is Jesus talking about literal poverty? I mean, a lot over the years have argued that. He's trying to tell us maybe that it's better to be poor, to be hungry. Are we to take a vow, a vow of poverty, like the monastics? But the language here does not support that. I think that's a poor reading of this. Again, he's not telling us to do anything. He's not even giving advice. He's just naming the reality in his kingdom. They are promises to those who are suffering that God sees them, God loves them, and is intent on their thriving. If anything, they are a warning to the hearers that they are called to live with attention and generosity toward their neighbors, just as God is attentive and generous. Uh, some years ago, I read a blog post by Nadia Boltz Weber. Does anybody kind of follow her? She's a pastor of a church out in Denver called All Sinners and Saints. And she has written some books. She's pretty popular. She reflected on her blog, which I think then became like a published essay, but about those who Jesus blesses. And part of her blog post, she took some of the Matthean uh, Beatitudes, the ones from Matthew, and filled them out in a way that also spoke to our day and our time. And here's why she said she took that approach. What if the blessings are not virtues? we should aspire to, but what if Jesus' pronouncement of blessing is actually what confers the blessing itself? Maybe this sermon is all about Jesus' seemingly lavish blessing 
of the world around him, especially that which society doesn't seem to have much time for. I mean, come on, doesn't that just sound like something Jesus would do? Extravagantly throwing around blessings as though they grew on trees? Well, it kind of does, doesn't it? It does seem like what Jesus would do. And I wanted to take, uh, or at least use her approach this morning and fill out Luke's version of the Beatitudes the way she did with Matthew's. So I just kind of invite you to listen to this. I'm just going to read these. Um, I'll, I'll start the, the paragraph with uh, the actual text from the Bible. If it helps you to kind of focus in, to close your eyes, please do that. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who live in tents or under the overpass. Blessed are you who work two jobs and still cannot cover your rent. Blessed are you high school kids who couch surf because you have nowhere else to go. Blessed are you who line up before the doors open at Project 1020 so you can have a warm place to sleep. Blessed are you who seek a Medicaid bed in a nursing home. Blessed are you who cram three families into a two-bedroom apartment. Blessed are you who wade through all the bureaucracy in order to get SNAP benefits. You are of heaven, and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who wait in line at Cross Lines Community Kitchen, because otherwise you wouldn't eat. Blessed are you who hope to collect enough money in your cup for a hamburger. Blessed are you who go without so your kids have more. Blessed are you who get by on one meal a day. Blessed are you who children who know that when school is canceled, you will miss out on breakfast and lunch. Blessed are you who make a meal out of what others throw away. You are of heaven, and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are you who are scared every time the phone rings because you are afraid of what you will hear on the other end. Blessed are you who sit by hospice beds in ICU rooms, counting the seconds between each breath. Blessed are you whose marriage did not equal happily ever after. Blessed are you who have to use every bit of energy just to get yourself out of bed. Blessed are you who still miss your mother or your father. Blessed are you who keep trying to point out to your friends the racism you encounter every day, even though they still don't get it. You are of heaven, and Jesus blesses you. Blessed in the Greek uh, is, is makarios. It means blissful. I just wanted you to know I looked it up in Greek. It means that Jesus sees, <laughs> Jesus sees all of who you are. It's not just like a pat on the head. He sees all of who you are, and regardless of what anyone else says about you, God in Jesus bestows dignity and respect on you. You are honored, and you are loved, and you are claimed, not because of anything you have done or have not done, just simply because God says so. Blessed are you. Fortunately or unfortunately, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is not done with the sermon. Unlike Matthew's, uh, who he goes on to record uh, woes. 
And of course, it would be Luke to be the one to bring them up because from the very beginning of his gospel account, he kind of ushers in this upside down world. His, his book starts with Mary singing the Magnificat where Mary speaks of the great reversal in the circumstances of God's people. Luke 1 says, he has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. To the end of the book where it was the women, you know, the undisputed second class citizens, were the first ones to realize Jesus had risen from the dead while the men were behind locked doors. And all throughout Luke's recording of Jesus' story, we encounter this great reversal, this upside down. This great reversal is the overriding theme that God in Jesus is taking what we know to be true about how the world works and flipping it upside down, showing us up close that God sees things and sees us quite differently than we do. We hear that in the woes, because just like today, people in ancient times also assumed their wealth, their fullness, their prosperity, their popularity, all of those things were outward symbols of God's approval. I mean, that's the dream, right? To not have to worry about food, to be secure financially, to have a lot of people like you. But according to Luke, it's not true. Those things are not outward signs of a divine blessing. Actually, they're things about which we are to be warned because they have these powerful tendencies to supplant God, to take over in our lives and to lead us into territory of idolatry. So again, let's go through the woes uh, using Nadia Boltz-Weber's approach to hear them in a different way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who spend a great deal of time and energy protecting all your things. Woe to you who feel compelled to purchase the newest version of everything so your kids can stay on top of the social ladder. Woe to you who assume that things, that those who are struggling just need to work harder. Woe to you who wake up at night concerned that you don't have enough to feel safe. Woe to you who look for your security only in a savings account. Woe to you who have never learned generosity. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who lack for nothing and think that you did it all on your own. Woe to you who were not taught empathy or have lost your compassion. Woe to you who have little understanding that most people in the world do not live the way you do. Woe to you who do not treat with dignity those who serve you. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you who have learned how to ignore your pain and stuff it down. Woe to you who spend all your energy pretending that everything is okay. Woe to you who make jokes that demean others. Woe to you whose laughter has a sharp edge. Woe to you who skim the surface of life and are afraid to go deep. Woe to you whose smile has become brittle and whose eyes have lost their sparkle. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Woe to you who feel that life is a performance and you mustn't fail. Woe to you who feed off of the praise and who are empty when it stops. Woe to you who are so cautious in expressing your opinion that no one really knows where you stand. Woe to you who seek peace that is only an absence of tension. Woe to you who confuse sanctification with perfectionism. 
In the Greek, the, the word woe is way, and it means something like, oh no, or alas. Not in a trite way, but in a, like, this is about to turn dark. The message translation is actually particularly creative. It says, it's trouble ahead. And the reason I think this is uncomfortable, at least for me, is while I don't see myself in the blessings, I absolutely see myself in the woes. I mean, we live in a paradise, you know, and I'm still worried about, are we going to be able to pay for college? Are we going to have enough for retirement? Do you remember that um, Ameriprise commercial where Tommy Lee Jones, like, looks right into the camera and he says, can you keep your lifestyle in retirement? I hated that commercial. I hate all those commercials. They scare me. They make me feel like we have not planned well enough. We've spent too much money. We're blowing through it. We're going to have to live like paupers in retirement. You know, and their intent, I think, is probably to scare you, and it certainly worked on me. Then there was, like, that weird dollar bill that turned into the origami squirrel. That, cre that was creepy. <laughs> but maybe you react differently. That's the way I react to that stuff. But every time I see myself in the woes, my reaction is to feel shame, and I get angry. I'm defensive, you know. I'm like, you know, you don't know, Jesus. You don't know my life. I might, you know, be well off by the world's standards, but I am trying to be a good person. Well, and even, of course, as those words come out of my mouth, I realize, of course, Jesus knows my life. He knows fully what it means to be human with all the pressures of day-to-day -day life. And because of God's deep knowing, we have to take seriously what Jesus says in this sermon. So if we find ourselves in the blessing section, we have to take the blessing seriously. Let it sink in and let it shape us. And if we find ourselves in the woe section, let that sink in and shape us and take that warning seriously. Because Jesus is saying to those of us who resonate with the woes, look out, there is trouble ahead for you. That which we see as a gift or as a security might just become what ensnares us and is a false sense of security. Wealth, fullness, laughter, at least laughter if you, as like you don't have a care in the world, acclaim, these are all aspects of privilege, aren't they? And it actually, that privilege could blind us to God's presence in our midst. I mean, what if that privilege actually blinds us to the poor's presence in our midst? Those who, as Howard Thurman wrote, have their backs against the wall and are waiting for you to live out the gospel's promise for them and not just for yourself. What if over time we place more and more trust in these things? It's easy to do, isn't it? In this privilege rather than in God. God becomes kind of an afterthought, something we tack on to the end of our week, and not a guiding presence. Woe to us when that happens, Jesus preaches. And that means we've lost our way, and nothing but trouble is ahead. I mean, the truth is, there isn't much in my, circum sorry, in my circumstances that leads me to a, like a sense of urgency. It's very easy, embarrassingly easy, for all things that are deep and divine to become afterthoughts in my life. And it isn't because I'm callous. It's because, as Jesus puts it so wisely, am I, I am full. I've already had my consolation. I have easy access to laughter, so I don't wonder what lessons honest tears might yield. I am primed by my cozy little life to live in the shallows, unaware of the treasures that lie in the depths. Most of the time, it just plain doesn't occur to me, you know, that I would be completely lost, utterly lost, without the grace that sustains me. So usually about this time, we try to wrap it up, you know, and um, 
give you a nice little illustration that's heavy on the, the grace. You know, wrap it up in a nice tidy bow, but we're not going to do that today. I'm not going to do that today. I'll just end this like Jesus ended this section of, I think, his sermon with nothing tidied up, nothing wrapped up, everything just hanging out there for all the world to see. Because the truth is, whether we resonate with the blessings or the woes, Jesus' promise is still the same. And that promise is that the way things are is not the way things will always be. Make no mistake, God and Jesus is still working out this great reversal. The time when all God's children will finally be standing on the same level ground, looking at each other face to face and eye to eye. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, even when it is hard to hear. We ask you to help us humbly admit the limitations of our privilege and how it might be binding us to our own emptiness. Allow us to notice the radical counterintuitiveness of your priorities and your promises. We want to join you on the level place and let the hungry and the poor and the broken press in on us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to receive communion together. And for those of you who uh, might be kind of new, we have some sort of shrink-wrapped communion because of COVID. Uh, and so the way we do this is you just kind of make your way out of your row, come forward to one of the people that are serving you, and they will say to you as you approach them, they will say, remember the body and blood of Christ. And you can respond with, um, I will remember, or amen, whichever you prefer. First, we'll read uh, from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when, it was when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless this bread and this cup. May it be to us a spiritual food and drink and means of your grace. And as we receive into our own bodies, may we receive you once again. Come, live inside us, and make us new from the inside out. And then send us out into the world to be salt and light, and let the world feast on us and taste and see that you are good, so that all may know your name. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Will you come?